Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the podcast, Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast where we will center and continue to cultivate the stories of Black and brown people who are negotiating independent school culture and where they go from here. My name is Gina Parker Collins. I am the mom of two independent school scholars and founder of Resources in Independent School Education better known as Rise, and I'm coming to you from somewhere in my house in New York. Ooh, yes, and my name is Sam Osborne. I'm an independent school alum, Rise volunteer, and creative. I was previously a New York City fundraiser living in Brooklyn, and now I am pursuing my MBA at the Wharton School of Business. And we're here to talk about the challenges, celebrate the wins, and introduce you to some really great folks you need to know about. In today's episode of Articulating, we are thrilled to welcome our first head of school, Dr. Tom Kelly from Horace Mann in the Boogie Down Bronx. Listen in as Tom ardently articulates his perspective and leadership style, prioritizing the relevance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at a time when there is intense pushback to the evolution of long overdue racial reckoning and progress in our independent schools. Personally, this is exactly what I needed to hear from leadership. Sam, take it from here. I think what might be uh, good for listeners to understand is the relationship between Dr. Tom Kelly and the Horace Mann School and Gina Parker Collins, Rise, um, what that relationship has looked like over the years. Sure. Wherever you want to start. Okay. How did you two meet? <laughs> How um, did actually, you it's this a fascinating story because Gina came up the stairs with something I desperately want and needed and didn't think I could afford. <laughs> How we allocate our dollars in terms of advocacy for our families and advocacy in the world we live in. And we realized RISE was a partnership uh, we didn't just want to have, we needed to have, and it has served us exceptionally well. And by us, I mean one of the largest independent day schools in the nation, it served us well. It's been a guidepost. And RISE, from my perspective, uh, top to bottom, left to right, has been one of many guideposts that have enabled us to move away from a Eurocentric curriculum in history, uh, to have the courage to aggressively create an employee cohort that looks increasingly like our students, to continue to diversify across the various identifiers, where are we with our student body, and to continue to offer an education that's relevant. Um, and I think that's, you know, we all have wonderful models. Mine's great is the truth. I think Dalton is go forth unafraid. You know, but at the end of the day, the education we're selling needs to be relevant to the kids we're uh, raising collectively, not just educating anymore. And schools play a bigger and bigger role in raising, not just educating. And I think the work that RISE has helped us accomplishment has been and will continue to be invaluable to who we are. So 
I think that's an interesting um, how what you're describing is almost a, a bit more hands on than I might expect a headmaster um, to be with such work. Um, so then in that regard, it, would you say that's a unique relationship? And what does the rest of your sort of DNI team look like at Horace Mann? Um, I'm fairly confident that's the answer you'd hear from everyone involved in leading our DEI work. Um, I'd like to think our kids were ahead of us. And you probably would have heard that answer from some of our kids before you heard it from adults. And I've been here for 16 years and the kids continue to be several steps ahead of us. And, and we have parents who've grown up in worlds that do not look like the world we're asking our kids to grow up in, learn in, play in, grow in today. Um, but I am proud of the fact that we, we're in a good place and it, it is not without its tension. Um, it's not without its messiness, but I always say if it wasn't messy, it wouldn't be real. And if it's not real, why are we doing it? Um, this isn't shtick. This is about preparing our kids for four years of college and life. Um, this is about preparing our kids for life in the absence of college, be it service or work or other. Um, and it's what we've done um, since day one. And remember, we're a school that exists because nobody wanted the Jewish kids. Uh, and I reminded our community as we continue to diversify, if anyone's gonna do this well, um, and with a sense of decorum and respect for, for difference of opinions, it should be us because we would not exist today if, if not for other schools telling us no. Um, they did not want what we had to offer. And I'm, I'm proud of the original um, construct moving away from the notion of a Jewish day school for capable kids. I'm proud of the fact that our tagline now is we graduate good kids first. And being a good, respectable citizen is the hallmark of a liberal arts education. And how can you be a good, respectable citizen who's a creative free thinker and not be able to discuss race? Um, and I, I just think to some extent, um, things are just too quick, too soon, too urgent right now, partially because we, you know, like we tend to do with a lot of things in society and socially, those things that make us uncomfortable, we avoid them to the point they bubble over. Uh, and I do think as we have a more natural rhythm in these conversations and a relevance to the outcomes beyond criminal justice, um, and, and that notion of a fair sense of justice for everyone is front and center. You know, beyond you even get to equity and equality and where we are with race as a social construct, not a biological entity. Um, I think as we start to catch our breath and more people start to participate, um, we will be in a better place. Um, I had sent a, uh, an update to our community, unfortunately, known as the COVID update every Sunday night. And I, I took an opportunity to remind them that you know we've done a lot of things in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s with our curriculum and with our population and with each other. And after every single one, no one can question that we are not the better for it. And this is one more thing we need to not take on. We need to work through and we need to have an outcome that is all about humanity. Um, and that's interesting to have an outcome this universal on the heels of many of our kids being called into service in a way they've never seen before. Their country saying, 
You need to wear a mask for somewhere halfway around the country, halfway around the world, passing you on the one. And I think that call for service aligns beautifully with what I think the nation's looking for. I hope the nation's looking for. I, I want each kid to have what every other kid has. And I want that to apply to access in the adult world. And I want us to not kid ourselves that parallel to race, we have to talk about access issues to housing, to education, to healthcare. Um, it's, it, those are real things too uh, that drive our economy. But to, to hear some experts come to campus and Gina knows we're very privileged to have lots of intellectual friends, but to you know, have the likes of Beverly Tatum on campus. And we remember Beverly in her seminal book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting in the, uh, Together in the Cafeteria? And to expect one story and hear this just you know, incredible human being say, no, my interest began in college when I was in a class and couldn't discuss race and no one around us could either. That it wasn't I noticed kids of color or an identify congregating long before that I noticed we can't even discuss it. And out of that and out of her studies, you know, has emerged a robust curriculum elsewhere, but actually following on the heels of the book not driving conversation before the book. Um, and I still think we're trying to get the cart in the right place and make sense out of things. Um, even teaching color, not always through a lens of oppression. I mean, that's, we've worked hard on that. That Black's a culture, not just a history of oppression. And we've asked our Black families, if I may, when I started 16 years ago as African-American, but we've asked our Black families to stumble through it and, We've apologized countless times and we've said, hang in there. And Gina's experienced that work with us in Riverdale. And I'm proud to say we do the work. Um, and now we're asking our white families to hang in there too. Um, I think the kids do have a better grasp on what we're trying to accomplish because they're living it every day. I think our families and, and not with malice or intent and privilege isn't always intentional or anti-racist. Doesn't mean you woke up and said, I want to be a bad person, but their rights and entitlements that you, you know you were born into and didn't realize others have to work awfully hard to obtain, um, to achieve, um, and sometimes still aren't invited to the party. You know, we have Lawrence Otis Graham, who, you know, rest his soul, great guy, uh, who really led the charge on some of the equity conversations. And one of his last works before he passed on was about the notion of the country club and no matter how many degrees I have, no matter how smart I am, no matter how capable, affable, and the guy was an affable. I mean, he's a guy you'd want to have dinner with and have on your short list of who to call if you needed a friend. He, he just not included. Um, and yet I had him as a parent and he was so joyful and his kids and, you know, just everything, but not invited to the country club. And the country club obviously has a, metaphor for something much larger. Um, but I, I'd like to think if you pulled Ronald Taylor, who's our current acting director, any one of our division heads, you'd hear a similar response. And I apologize if it sounds like a rant, but you know we wanna be unwavering in our work and I'm okay uh, stepping on some toes and apologizing for him. That's how we learn. You know, Kids make a mistake, the blessing of a bruised cut knee. You know, shouldn't that apply to all the lessons? Um, and we're gonna we're gonna step on some toes. We're gonna 
trying on some shoes that don't fit. We're going to laugh at some things now we're doing and saying, boy, that wasn't elegant. It's kind of like knee surgery. We went from the 20 inch scar to the two little dots. We'll get there, but we're not going to get there by ignoring race. We made it a social construct. We saw with the human genome, it has nothing to do with biology. And by making it a social construct, one of social thought, we made it socially significant. And as a social scientist, I don't think you can just check that off on the back. Um, and I think it's driving, unfortunately, a lot of issues in the United States today that aren't helpful. Um, and I am incredibly frustrated by our own ignorance and arrogance. We saw Brown versus Board of Ed uh, come to fruition because of the Doctors Clark and the Doll experiment. And Dr. Clark Kenneth was brought back into court in the most awe-inspiring of ways and asked to reimagine his paper, bringing it into the 1950s. And everybody forgets um, that paper uh, had three recommendations and the court chose to only take one of them. Um, and yes, you know, he made it clear that the segregation wasn't healthy. But he also made it clear that racism was inherently American institution and that school segregation inhibited the development of white children too. You know, those were the three recommendations he made. But like all things in history, we pick and choose what we think we're ready to deal for. And make no mistake, we needed um, Brown versus Board of Ed. We needed the horrors of this delightful little girl years later, forced integration with armed guards in New Orleans after segregation was uh, shot down because uh, it keeps us honest. And I think our kids expect more right now. And I think they need help in the conversations. Wow, Dr. Kelly. I, I, so I know just sort of Googling you and everything, you're an academic first and foremost, but it's really crazy seeing it um, come to life in front of my eyes on Zoom. Um, okay, that was a lot to unpack I think I mean I think the one thing standing out to me right now is is the energy and the enthusiasm and you know this is kind of coming on the heels of a really major departure in the independent school community sure. um, at the Dalton school so obviously I, I'd be curious to know um, just how this might this last year has perhaps impacted you or maybe um, reframed how you look at your role and your work as head of school, asterisk, not headmaster, excuse me. Sure, that's okay. It's ironic because I think this work, and if you notice, and Gina's seen some of them, um, when we are calling out an injustice, identifying it, and then calling for change, we have started to issue letters signed by every member of admin council. Um, that yes, I understand. And that's, you know, beyond admin council here, director of food service signs it too. Boy, the kids know Brenda Cohn. But I, I also think this has become a clarion call for all hands on deck. Um, I do think it needs to be institutional. I do think it needs to be systemic. To some extent, it needs to be infectious. And one of the things we decided, really because of our Black students demanding change, we had been in a good place of discomfort where we have tried, and Gina knows the history, we've tried all sorts of models to handle how best to approach um, the silos of difference, to how to approach 
um, inclusion, to how to approach socioeconomic, our financial aid modules, our student assistance. And we've really wandered out in the desert and tried on lots of shoes right now. We are replicating a college model. In fact, we had looked at Brown and we're very impressed. And I know Gina and I share kids up there, Amazon her way home. Um, I've but heard we of were it. Impressed with their embedding and identifying courses that said there's certain things we're going to teach and teach wrapped into our curriculum. Their office is freestanding. So we went with a freestanding model. But out of that freestanding model started to become, become what we desperately needed. We needed long-term planning. We needed to say, where are we starting? Where are we putting the fence posts in this year with a greater emphasis on data? In fact, this year is telling us just because we can doesn't mean we should. We probably could do more with less. Um, we also started to bundle and align our resources. So our parent institute, which we're very fortunate to have, focused on race this year um, and brought speakers in to help our parents get up to speed with material of comfort and discomfort. So we did luck out in the sense that with our black students demanding change, asking us to be a little clearer with a little tighter focus and a little more responsive to some things that we didn't know we were both doing in unison, like our, our fairs and our representation, our hiring, that I delivered a directive that you cannot have a final search without a black candidate in it. And if you can't find one, we will find one for you. Um, just to hold ourselves accountable. But we went into this year um, with our community very aware we're doing the work before it had become sort of a public agenda and the presidential election had sensationalized it. And, and that boy, in politics, this is going to live for a while. And people forget whether you call it DEI, whether you call it critical race theory. Critical race theory has identified by Kimberly Crenshaw, it's, it's not a noun, it's a verb. It, it, it's a practice that's malleable and is moving through time. It came to us out of legal studies and has morphed into academia. And we're trying to figure out where race has had an unfortunate uh, precedent, a place. Um, and who better to teach us about it than first person members of our community. And right now we're asking people to listen. Um, I have people who say, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Well, I've raised two black kids in my house mm -hmm. um, who actually identify as Afro-Caribbean. And I've walked into stores and they have my credit card with my name on it. Um, and I've seen stuff and thought, really? Um, the Yonkers police know who I am. Mm -hmm. um, that you neighborhood know. story, I love the neighborhood story. You know, yeah. black and brown students in the Riverdale neighborhood. And you That's why they wear their gear build relationships with cops and said you come across any of my kids you need to call me first yeah i mean we, we make no bones about it i mean we have a bookstore because kids want gear to wear on the one um you know and i it, it should life be that way no should kids present in a threatening matter on the one no too like we're okay with that too but you know a, a high school junior or an eighth grader feeling that people are moving away from me on the one because i by a social definition Present as something that should be feared, but I wear a horse man sweatshirt and all of a sudden I'm smart. Yeah, that's that whistle uh, Vivaldi, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I, I just, I want no part of that. And again, I want, we were very fortunate to have Keon Harold, the, the um, profiling with the iPhone uh, in the city. Keon came and joined 
uh, a webinar uh, with our student body and teachers. Um, and it was really nice at the end with all the, you know, everyone was ready to egg on the family for, let's go. And, and dad said, you know what? When someone said, what do you want? He said, I want what you want for your kid. Right. He said, in fact, write it down. I'll say, okay. That I, I, I want it at the most basic level. You know, I want access. I, I want an experience through life, a journey through life that's purposeful. And, and, and these hurdles that like the wind tend to be invisible or very real. And I, that's a quote from someone far more prominent than I, but a lot of the issues with race, we show me, show me, they are like the wind. Boy, when they blow, they'll knock you down, but you don't see it, yeah. you feel it. Um, and I wish I knew who said that, I say that quite often. Um, I think it's somewhat recent, but it's so real. Um, and, and being on campus for 16 years, with a faculty and staff that has longevity, including our administrators, those stories, those stories sting when they're in your family. And at a minimum, if we can't control life beyond the walls of HM, you know, what's our excuse within the walls? I did wonder about um, sort of that conversation that was happening around former Attorney General William Barr, sure. who, who is an, a, Horace, a Horace Mann alum, um, won this Distinguished Alumni Award in 2011. And there were uh, students, I believe, current students or recent alumni that had uh, distributed this petition. It received about 10,000 signatures and it was sure. submitted to the Alumni Council following um, Attorney General Barr's um, ordering of uh, riot police. Right, the clearing of the church, the plaza. Yes, for, for Trump's photo opportunity, right. Um, and so uh, just, I'd be interested to know just where that conversation ended up. Sure. Um, and the considerations you all weighed when determining whether or not it should be. Yeah, you know, this is a, you gotta love Horace Mann because one of the girls who led the charge was in my ethics class. So yeah, you gotta love when they take what you teach and run with it. And what, what they did was very respectfully um, call the issue in. And, and I, I, I gotta tell you, that's why it didn't die. Um, it could easily have no agency in the political arena and here are two high school kids, but they did it thoughtfully yes. and respectfully. And it and let me just note, it was Jessica Rosberger and yes. Kiara Royer. Don't sure. want to take that away from them. Sure. Um, our alumni council had two things they needed to do. They needed to straighten the nail on. It's not a distinguished alum award. It's a distinguished achievement award for a moment in time. So Attorney General Barr does have several moments in time that are very impressive, that predate the Trump legacy. And he was celebrated for those moments. In fact, really did not want to be celebrated. He felt service was a higher calling and shouldn't take a bow. Um, and now fast forward, the award was still given. It is mistaken to be alum and not achievement. So the alumni council knows they've got to circle back and be clear about it. They also know, went back and recognized when we identify a political figure or an academic, what comes next can be radically different, radically different. And are we prepared for our imprimata on someone whose theories or opinions or beliefs may change dramatically? And do we clarify that by saying, this is why you were recognized, not that. They also went to the universities that we matriculate into and had a lot of conversations um, and found 
very few would rescind the award. Um, and that was the decision ultimately they made. What we did with the present day HM, and you can read my letter in the record, I told the student body, because um, we really are about the students and lots of employees signed it. I had a funny moment. Someone called and said, I think your daughter signed it. Yeah, Emma's an alum, she can sign it if she wants. She doesn't always worry about her old man. Um, but we had decided, given the work we were currently immersed in about race and being an anti-racist school, which is, you know, I think a good thing. I realize people struggle with that notion and, 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 and I get it, we gotta better explain it. But we had agreed we would tee it up and tell the student body, we're ready to take it on. The Alumni Council made a decision. If you continue to feel this is not right or the outcome should be different, we will create the structures to continue this debate now in our lab. The students chose to stay their course with our long-term planning and did not wanna be distracted by a single incident. And I respected that. Um, that is my job as head of school, not to be just about me. Um, and you see my letter clearly says, we are prepared to receive, we're prepared to organize, we're prepared to continue. But the students had other things they wanted to focus on. Um, and unfortunately, the four years of high school, um, you know, it's sad, it's, it's become a crash course for life in many ways that it's not designed or intended for. And the discussion about race and social economic diversity um, and difference in general um, has, has become a 911 call um, or college is gonna be incredibly difficult no matter where you go. Um, the bubbles just aren't there anymore. Um, and I think that's fading in our independent school community. But would we have done more with um, Bill Barr? Sure, um, but I wasn't about to force it when the kids were knee deep in other issues that were um, of greater importance to them at the time. Also parallel to the, the appearance of clearing a peaceful protest. Um, there was enough connective tissue for me to feel comfortable to let it go. Tom, let me ask you, um... Speaking of our students and their voices and them leading the way they've been taught to lead. Sure. How do we help them continue to progress when, in fact, in many households, um, there are some parents who are, are resistant to the work uh, of being more, becoming more anti-racist, of becoming more culturally responsive in schools? There has been a lot of pushback and resistance among um, affluent, um, powerful parents. Um, we've been reading about it in the news and it's been affecting leadership. It's been affecting school community and school spirit. What do you say about those parents? Will they come along eventually? Are you worried about um, uh, them withdrawing their support from schools? And what does that ultimately mean for an independent school as a, as a, as a structure? You know, I, I, I think it's, you know, one more hurdle to be cleared. Um, I, I think it would be a huge mistake for any independent school to allege it's not worthy clearing. Um, even leaving a chunk of skin on it as you clear it, like sliding on a gym floor in shorts, if you're safe, you're still safe. It might have hurt, but you're safe. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I had this conversation with a student who was really upset. Um, and I said something that was, you know, a little bit risky. 
And I said, those people have always been out there. They're just speaking now. Yeah. Percentages haven't changed. You know, let's get back to doing our work. And you know what? If they want to tell me they disagree and that's okay, great, join the conversation. I'd rather have them join the conversation and tell me how they feel than whisper at a gathering of lots of families and then send me an anonymous letter. Anonymous letters, you know, carry no weight. Unless it's a life safety issue with a kid here or an employee, anonymous letters get read. They get considered, but they're not actionable, um, especially when they're not life safety. But I do think to some extent, it's a good thing. Some parents are showing up in the Zooms or are calling individually or making appointments um, to have a discussion to say, well, that comment, and I'm the first one to say, and I've been saying it in all of our town halls, two things, that we've been doing this for 133 years and relevant matters, and we're never bleeding edge because that can be irresponsible with money. We're certainly cutting edge and we haven't failed our kids yet. We know we had a moment where we abused children that we are profoundly and permanently scarred by and forever, ever has changed the ethos, the telos, who we are, our fellowship. So notwithstanding that horrible indiscretion, where we are with our education program and our ability to change it in thoughtful and permanent ways is hand in hand with our discussion about race. This isn't a curriculum becoming more entrepreneurial, uh, less Eurocentric, a heavy emphasis on embracing math and science in the liberal arts, research looming large, diverse authors, creative writing, not just writing for research and race. You know, all of our work should be hand in hand together. And I, the more who wanna to come to the table, the better. And uh, I'm okay if 20% uh, of the table's upset. You know, I remind the kids, I only need 51% of the community to like me at a given time. But you have to lead knowing not everyone agrees. <laughs> and all I can say is judge me on what I do. I've been here for 16 years. I've made this community my life. Um, I came into it very vocal about difference and inclusiveness. I came into it as a social science. They were well aware of where I came from and what I had done. Um, and I'm proud of the fact that we have the Center for Community Values in Action. I'm proud of the fact we invest heavily the money, not just wealth, work, wealth, and wisdom in the Bronx. I'm proud of the fact our address went back to the Bronx. But you know, this is part of what we do and it's supposed to be an uphill climb. Um, I'm hopeful that more and more families will realize Disagreeing doesn't get you excommunicated. I need the adults to start to be on the same page. And if we're using words or phrases that by the time they come home are translating in an offensive or threatening way, come right back at us. I had a family invite me to sit with them on a Sunday and I knew we would agree 100%. But, but I also know this gentleman runs uh, an operation that's incredibly inclusive. So his kids aren't growing up in a world where, where everyone looks the same. And so, you know, some of the work we're doing, he sees naturally, he doesn't see the need to program it perhaps, but we do need it to be curricular and not every student has the opportunity to experience it. You know, my daughter, Gina's daughter have had the privilege of growing up in communities where these conversations take place. I had an interesting moment where there was a, issue at my daughter's college freshman year 
And it was over race. And she was just like, freeze. Is this going to be dealt with? And the college did a beautiful job. And Emma texted home to say, God, like, that a kid would think it was okay to say that, whether you believed it or not, like in public. And then I wrote back and said, well, you know, how did it make you feel? What about the kid it was directed at? Emma, where were you in terms of sort of the five Ds of getting in there and representing? I was so proud she had all that done. But I also heard, boy, if that was HM, it would have been five assemblies. What's the five Ds, Tom? Um, I'll send you that. It's a Hollowback or Holloway way to be a, um, a, a, a not a bystander, but a participant yes. if someone's being attacked. To allay my fears, you're not worried about the um, the resistors. You think they'll come along and they could never, their withdrawal from independent schools if they chose to do so would not topple the institution, would it? No, I, I, I think we'll go through moments of time where the student body maybe looks a little different. Um, has it cost me some donations? I'm sure. And that's okay. If you don't believe in it, don't give it. Will the kids give when they're adults? Yeah. I'll get you in one generation or another. Difference. It is the students are are with the program, and it's the it's the adults. I just don't understand what they feel that they may be giving up or losing. It's like oh, and Gina, you know, some are unintentionally misinformed, or some are generally, you know, when you talk about a redistribution of wealth, that scares people. And now we're talking about a redistribution of equity, quality, and justice. Everyone assumes someone's got to lose something. And I understand in the critical race theory, we're taking something to share it with others. But in the end, the outcome is just and fair for everyone. Everyone. But you have to be able to talk about history, to not repeat it, and to change it moving forward. And it pains me, you know, when I hear someone say, but my, you know, white child is, is, is being taught to grow up um, you know, sort of like they're an issue. When I feel like they're the victim, you're telling them they're horrible people. No, we're not telling them they're horrible people, but something you were associated with that I know you wouldn't tolerate at recess is, is, a, is a part of your experience that's a plural. But I, I said to the community, Sam, back to your question, I said two things. If we make mistakes, come at us and we will. And boy, I understand by the time it gets home, and I understand every once in a while a speaker forgets they're talking to kids because they're so smart and their questions are so deep. If we need to apologize, if we need to roll it back, if we need to end with a different message, and Ronald Taylor, our acting director, always ends with the kids. All right, we talked about something, paper and pencil out, three things you could do moving forward to change what we just talked about. So everybody sees a role. And then I tell the parents, I promise you, if you let us continue to do this work and others together, your, your proudest moments with your kids in life, be it next week, next year, or 10 years down the road, won't be the academic award, won't be the income, won't be the tchotchkes. It's going to be that moment they step up and say, justice matters for everyone. And it might be little. It might be a, a tidal wave, it might be national, it might be just around the dinner table. And I remember a moment for me, um, having lived this and talked about it, my daughter went here. So she hears daddy all the time in multiple forms, but always very 
pro-inclusion. And one day we were in a garage and the organizer of the garage was berated. A young man who didn't speak English who was parking cars. And it didn't dawn on me. I'm not sure I should take risks like this. But I got out and said, lock the car and went up to the guy and said, don't ever speak to anybody that way. I said, you don't right to speak to him that way. Don't speak to anybody that way. And I remember thinking, I wonder if everyone's for me right now because I'm underground. And I believe I just locked my, my eighth grader in the car. But I remember getting in the car and looking in the rearview mirror and watching my kid. First of all, like, daddy, what are you nuts? But almost like, yeah, way to practice it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I, I just, I don't get how that could be wrong. I don't want to see people treat each other with disrespect. I want to see mistakes. We make mistakes, move on. I hope with some of our parents who are most opposed, I can sit shoulder to shoulder with them at some point, at least agree this aspect of the work is value. And maybe in the margins, there's things we can both do better, but I'm, I'm not sure how the nation's going to avoid the economic issues, the, you know, the, the, the basic essence of humanity, um, the clarion call for if not now, when, and it is right now international for the first time in our life. How cool would it be if this generation of kids could say, I remember when? I mean, think about it. How much mobility? Possible. I think it's yes. really possible. There's been, like you said, there's this clarion call. There's been this shift um, that I don't, I don't think we've ever seen before. And, and the work continues, but I think we're in better hands with our next generation, our current generation, sure. than we are with, with many of the parents. We're going to have a speaker hopefully I wrap up next week, um, Irshad uh, Bananji, uh, don't label me, how to inflame the culture, how to not inflame the culture war. She's really an expert on how to listen. So I'm going to invite her to us. And she's the Moral Courage, Courage Project. I'm going to invite her on a Zoom to talk about the psychology of listening when you don't want to hear it. Um, and I know she's not a huge fan of critical race, but I know she's a huge fan of justice and fairness just through a different lens. But I'm gonna let the parents see someone that I think they're gonna be surprised and then be surprised to see how much in common we have. Yeah, how you steer that conversation. Sure, <laughs> join me, I'll send you a Zoom. I would love that, I would love that. Um, you are definitely um, a, leader's, a leader's leader and I've always admired and appreciated that about you, Dr. Tom Kelly, you, um, you stand for something. And you don't fall for much, if well, anything. So you I, know, you're a huge part of that. Don't undersell. And not, you know, I've got just a terrific group of employees here. You know, we're 460 some odd strong, and we move as a posse of plurality in good times and bad. This makes me wanna. Um, I don't know. I hope you uh, you have a very long running tenure so that by the time I am old enough to have children, they can experience such leadership. Um, well, we're, we're hopeful. We're trying to make it intergenerational here. So uh, I'm here in the next Tom, person. Tom will work that admissions angle. So you said it, okay? It was funny. We asked this year. And we know we're all intellectual institutions. So this year we added a question, anyone applying sixth and up on race, you know, what do you think about it? And there's no right or wrong answer, 
But we wanted people to A, out of the gate, what we say in the admissions open house is very real. And we're not, it's not just shtick. We're very honest about who we are and where we've come from and where we're going as this sort of technicolor, you know, vibe moving. We're not the crisp blue or pleats of certain schools. We got a real technicolor vibe and we're moving at a pace that's relevant for the kids. But in the conversation about race, all we wanted families to share with us was an interest and appreciation. Um, don't know it. Came from a school, maybe it wasn't really discussed, or it's why we're coming. Um, great. Um, you know, or I've got some concerns, but I think the conversation has to continue. And we were fascinated just to hear how many kids were light years ahead of their parents. Just like we know right now, we did a chalk talk exercise years ago. We were trying to figure out how far down the curriculum were the kids aware of the inequities, um, including race. And we got into first grade and they were like, nailed it, nailed it. Um, so we want to take advantage of it. And yes, you know, we have reminded our parents, judge us on what we do. We're, we're struggling to find just one curriculum. Um, we're pulling from lots of curriculums and we're trying to use things in a thoughtful way. And it's, it's not always easy. We're also trying to be mindful of dissent that you know, sometimes that's ill-informed or sometimes you haven't heard or sometimes you were raised to see something through a very different lens. I've been very fortunate um, to be raised in a family where you didn't take anything for granted. Um, and you might've known there was privilege, but boy, you, you use that privilege to gain privilege. Other that did not go over well. I used to love it. My dad would say no to things. And then later on in life, you'd be like, why couldn't I have that baseball mitt? He'd say, because sometimes you need to hear no. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, I had a grandfather who served on the Mount Vernon school board. He didn't have any kids in Mount Vernon schools but he believed it was his civic duty. Um, you know, that's what we should be doing. Like, where is the strengthening of humanity? Where is our social grit? Um, and it's not this way everywhere else in the world. I mean, it really is the Dr. Clark, when he made the, you know, the point that racism is an American construct, it, it really is. And that was in 1950. And when he made the point that segregation hurts white children too, we know that to be true. Ask any one of our kids in any one of the schools or public schools or religious that are more inclusive than not. And that difference has made them a far more interesting young adult. Um, and I love when we do the, we have a nursery school, Sam, when the little kids put hands in and discuss pigment and the color of your skin and your hair. Like they're, it's like, they're so innocent and yet so curious. Like we're not gonna let them have these conversations. I'm a lot less on pins and needles now and, and taking it a lot less personally. It's, it's just a part of what the process is. And yeah. we'll get through this. And um, again, I'm just thankful that leaders like you are, are not caving in and this is the work we're gonna do and because it's the right thing to do. And you'll thank us later. You'll thank us later because your kids are just going to be awesome. I'd be curious to know just um, 
as far as uh, your tenure, uh, how would you like that to be defined? And what are the moments, if they've happened already, or if you hope they will happen um, in the future, what are those moments that you hope will define your tenure? Um, every moment about relevance. I, 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 I want my legacy to be looked on as aggressively maintaining our relevance in life. That we're not a, 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 a book that hasn't been checked out in 80 years that we continue to celebrate pages two, 11, 14, 90, and 1,004. Um, I'd like the relevance and comfort of the history to evolve. Um, it is a verb and we should continue to be malleable. Um, and I'm very proud of the curricular innovation that is still classical and very much liberal arts, but I'm, I'm even prouder of our ability to look at society as a whole and say that has to be a part of the instruction too. We are being asked to raise kids. We are the largest social psych experiment in the history of the nation, public or private. And if we're gonna be identified as such, then let's get busy doing the work. Um, I'm a fan of orphanages. I think if a parent has trouble caring for a kid, you shouldn't be penalized asking for help. Um, you shouldn't be forced into certain shoeboxes that just lead to an utter parade of horribles. But I would like to think the relevance. Um, and I'd like to, I'd, I'd, I'd like to believe um, telling the truth uh, mattered. And you don't always have to agree. But first and foremost, I'd like to remember it as part of a collective. Um, I need to move on and the work needs to continue seamlessly or I failed as a head. Tom Kelly shouldn't be something talked about or a person identified or a, I don't want a building. I did have a urinal named after my last job. The fourth grade boys thought that was charming, but this isn't about me. Um, I want it to be about the school and its mission and its core values. And I want the next head to, to feel the same way. Um, I shouldn't be taking a bow or looking for the next wreath to put on my head. I should be watching lots of kids do really well in life um, in lots of different settings um, and hopefully um, being a part of seeing the Bronx change. You know, I raised my daughter in the Bronx, um, you know, right here on campus. And Emma's very much a part of the Bronx and not the privilege I grew up in in Scarsdale. And she's definitely a more mature young woman, a more thoughtful human being, and not because of campus, because of her friends in the Bronx and the activities she joined and the, the opportunities she got to see, trick-or-treating in apartments. Um, trick-or-treating with no candy, but an art project. Um, trick-or-treating with a high five, great costume and a sticker. And not, you know, also, and trick-or-treating with handfuls of candy. Um, but I, I'm very proud of uh, this school and what it continues to do. And I, I will give it credit before I'm gonna take a bow ever. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Um, yeah. Yes, thank you so well, much. Well, thank you for That's having always. me. I, I, I talk too much, but I love what I do. And I love this school. Always, I mean, again, once again, is when we talk about students and you are known uh, across schools, okay? Not just at HM. Right. When I hear my son Chaz and I mentioned that, oh, I spoke to Dr. Kelly. Oh, you know, like they, they, they are excited about you. You are infectious. You empower students. You also empower parents. And I want to thank you for empowering the work that RISE does. Sure. Um, that we're building uh, stronger bridges between families of color and independent school culture. Um, 
So on that Yay. note, well, much love to everybody. Yeah. Thank you. And all right. Thanks for having me. Courageous leadership is what we need right now. And as a parent advocate and founder of RISE, I am heartened by Dr. Kelly's willingness to lean into what it is that his students need to be able to transform the world for good and in just ways, even if that means rescinding offers of recognition or losing donations. TK, as some students of color affectionately call him, is an admirable, accountable, and thoughtful head of school who will continue to make DEIB integral to the mission of Horace Mann. Thanks for your time and your energy, Dr. Kelly. And Sam, thank you for taking, articulating with me on this magical journey, and good luck on that test today, on that final. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Articulating, an independent school podcast. Join us again in another two weeks and meet another interesting guest who has navigated and negotiated independent school culture. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.